Hi, it's Scott Hamilton, Rockfile, back with another podcast review. Um, I pulled out a movie that I haven't seen since the days of VHS, I bet. The 1988 American drama, Talk Radio. Now, as I mentioned in previous podcasts, I radio has been my career my entire life, 35 years. Matter of fact, the uh, Rockfile radio station started nine years ago today, if that tells you anything. Wow. It's hard to think, hard to fathom. But um, I went to college in South Georgia at a small university. It's it's now a full university, so I could get on the radio station early. And I I still didn't think about making it a career. I wasn't very good. Um, I had an uncle that was in talk radio when I was young. Um, I used to make tapes and talk between the songs and stuff. Music is what drove my love for radio, not me wanting to be on the radio and talk. Um, But I wound up with a decent voice, and I wound up with a knack for it. When I started working on college, I was horrendous. I was terrible. Um, And I thought I was great at the time. And then a local pop station, they they basically begged me to come on board. And I'm like, really? (laughs) And and they started paying me, and then I had to learn how to get good. Because when you first get into radio, your dream is to get into major markets and work in one of those big fancy studios, like the one you see in the movie Talk Radio. Which, by the way, is not a real studio. They built that stage. Talk radio um, was a play that was based on a book about the life and murder of Alan Berg. And after seeing the movie, I did do a little research. I, you know, um, for me growing up, Atlanta radio stations were all I knew. Uh, I listened to AM radio a bit. Um, my dad turned me on to being able to pick up things on a good night from the other side of the planet on AM radio because the signal bounces off cloud cover and stuff like that. Um, and so I eventually got into what we would do now on the internet looking for an internet radio station or whatever, just trying to find interesting things to listen to or whatever. And uh, I did develop a bit of a love for radio, but I, I didn't think it was going to be something I was going to do as a career. I'll, I'll do it in college as fun. Uh, because I've always wanted to do it, um, but I'll be a, uh, I don't know, an architect or something. I just didn't know. What to, uh, VJs, MTV had been on for a couple years. I thought maybe I'll be a VJ. I'll use all this rock and roll knowledge I have. And so anyway, um, throughout my radio career, I've been music oriented. That's what I'm good at. It's what I know. I can read music. I know a hit song. Um, I have had a talk radio station or two under me when I became an operations manager and ran multiple stations, but talk radio is not my format. Uh, it's not my thing. And until I started doing podcasts, I really didn't think of even doing long-form talking. Um, I have done morning shows before, but most of my morning shows were music-based with just a little bit of talking. And when you've got news and daily pop culture stuff to talk about, it's easy. But this movie and the story of this Jewish radio personality in Dallas, Texas, he has a very caustic sense of humor. He's very condescending to his audience. He has controversial political reviews, uh, views. And, and he makes no bones about it. Uh, I'm sure that there's a little Howard Stern in here, but this is not... If you want to see a Howard Stern biography, go watch Private Parts, which is actually a very good movie. Um, but this is a fictitious story based on a real talk show host who was murdered. Um, and I'm not going to get into major spoilers, but this movie came out in 1988. It was made for $4 million and only made 3.5, so it wasn't a hit at all. Um, Eric Bogosian uh, wrote the original play, 
and he had included some of the biographical information about Alan Berg to, to, to flesh it out. Uh, he was murdered, by the way, Alan Berg was in Denver and was murdered by white supremacists in 1984, only four years before the movie came out. Um, and so, you know, th- there were no no plans to make a life story about him, but use that as, as a storyline for this guy, who's basically a self-destructive person. You have some early roles for some great people. Alec Baldwin is so young and so good in this. Ellen Green, who I think at the time we'd seen in a couple movies like Little Shop of Horror, she was a Broadway person. Uh, Leslie Hope, John C. McGinley, uh, Michael Wincott. Not only is he a character, and boy, what a character he is in the movie, but he's also several voices that call in uh, with different voices. He, Michael Wincott has one of the best voices of any actor out there. I just, I love his voice. I wish I had that voice. Um, and and he's he's great in the film because he plays kind of this wannabe rock star kind of guy who's uh, all drugged out, and he actually comes on the show. But anyway, uh, not to, the. It sounds like a very boring movie. It's about a disc jockey, and it's about him and basically what he goes through in his life, professional and personal, uh, for two hours uh, to the point of his madness, kind of. Um, He's got good things to say, in my opinion. And and when you go back in, in retrospect, looking at this movie that came out in 1988 before the rise of real talk radio. I mean, private parts didn't even come out till 1997. That was nine years later. Um, if you remember talk radio in the early days, um, other than religious stations, talk radio was NPR. It was news kind of stuff. It was interviews. It was... Then we started getting the infotainment stuff and the and the right wing and the left wing talk shows and the, and and all that kind of stuff and then it, it branched out from there and and Rush Limbaugh who passed recently was one of the one of the early adopters of a persona and and kind of became that which got exaggerated over the decades and whatever but he was massive for a long time there um, but this was 1988 and so. Music radio was still the dominant factor. It was later that talk radio became such a big thing. Um, also, in my career, I got to see where like morning shows went from, you know, we would beg the morning guys to play at least six or eight songs an hour. The average station can play 10 or 12 uh, if you're not playing a lot of commercials. Um, if we could get a morning show to play five or six songs that would be huge and these days a lot of the best biggest morning shows i don't want to say best but they play almost no music uh there won't be they'll just talk for four hours um i know a lot of people love that i know why it sells and i know why it works it's not what i prefer to listen to i don't mind talk i don't mind news i don't mind that but play a song every once in a while and give me something else to listen to especially when it rolls from you know a a spoken commercial and to produce commercials and to back to something else that's a sponsored thing and it's like anyway don't get me started on on the death of what's happening to fm radio this was back in the day that fm radio we listened to it that's where we got new music information it is it is always no matter what format you listen to we we went to the radio to find new music because there wasn't the internet at the time and there wasn't we this is the beginning of networked computers and things like that when you see these computers these green screen crt computers um in the movie it's funny but anyway Eric Bogosian, obviously, uh, writing the play, writing the screenplay with Oliver Stone, and this is an Oliver Stone movie, if I didn't uh, say that. Um, Oliver Stone had done bigger movies before this. He had done Platoon, you know, and he was coming off that. Um, 
And he was already green-lighted to do Born on the 4th of July, which is a big Tom Cruise guy in a wheelchair movie, you know, a, a two-and-a-half-hour epic film. And so he he says in some of the behind-the-scenes that he was glad he did the movies he did before this because it would have been hard to do this. And it would have been hard to do what he did after. Because basically, you, it's different shots of a guy talking on the radio and talking to callers. I mean, sure, they they leave and there there are scenes in their apartment and there's scenes with the program director and there's scenes with the sponsors and things like that. But a lot of the movie and what it builds to, the crescendo of the movie, is a rant of him on the radio. But... They do different things. They built the set so that they could get more than one person into a scene with different layers behind them. <clears throat> if you've ever been in a, in a radio station, we have to keep the booth separated from everything else to keep noise out. They wear headphones because it would feed back with the studio monitors uh, if we left microphones open in front of monitors, things like that. Um, and there's always like a glass partition where the producer or the other studio or whatever is there. Well, they had multiple glass partitions where you could see two and three people behind whoever was talking in the foreground. And it was all in camera and it was all in focus. And it, it just it it makes it look like a real big time radio studio. It really does. Um, and they keep the camera moving. And it just, for what's basically a talk movie, it's quite exciting and it's quite powerful by the end. It really, really is. Um, Eric Bogosian, it, it should have gotten many awards for this. He did an amazing job. There are a few times where maybe he gets a, a little more stage actory than movie actory, if that's a, a phrase or a word. Um, but his final rant, soliloquy, whatever you want to call it, um, is completely amazing. The looks on his face and, and that he's talking to the microphone and not the camera and um, the person on the phone. It's I've never been that kind of disc jockey that has to put people down or, or say something controversial to be popular. I talk about the things I love. I talk about the music I love. I talk about the, the, the interviews I do. I am <clears throat> not that guy who's going to stir the pot just to, to get people talking, and I should. I would have gone a lot further in my career, honestly, had I been a little more controversial in what I do. But there are people who make good livings doing that. There are people that, that, that are very popular doing that. And I love Howard Stern. I think he's a great interviewer. And, and I think, yes, sometimes he says things just to get a rise out of people. But that's also when you get the best answers to questions. I've thrown in the occasional boxers or brief questions with a famous rock star just to, you know, because they're used to, so what do you do when you're on tour? And, and how is the album going? And you, when you ask the same old questions all the time, you got to ask them, um, how many times a day do you brush your teeth? You know that's not controversial stuff but it, it throws them off and they're like oh well um I, i'm a crest kid and and uh you know i i wear boxers um but anyway sometimes you get more verbose answers and i'm just not that controversial guy but eric bogosian obviously put this this character together from several different uh very famous um talk show hosts and it's a full character who, who's got a past, who's dealing with an ex-wife, who's, who's dealing with a current girlfriend, who's dealing with a program director, who's dealing with possible syndication, who's dealing with um, listeners who really don't like him but listen to him all the time. And all of this culminates into a giant rant and a, and a very powerful ending. And it still is a powerful movie about not just radio, but about self-destructive personalities, about... Um, 
You know, we all kind of lie in the bed we make in the end. And and did he get what he deserved? No, nobody deserves what he gets. But, um, you know, he also didn't care who he offended. He and and I wish I could be that. You know, like I said, there's been you know Don Imus was like that. Uh, uh, Howard Stern's like that. Um, I don't really care who I offend. And if I'm talking with with friends and stuff, sure, I'll I'll, I'll pretty much shoot from the heart. Um, but I don't know. I sit in front of a microphone, and I, like I said in a previous podcast, I feel there's a certain responsibility to be good, positive, forward. You know, I, that's just me. But anyway, um, it's a great movie. It, it's one of Oliver Stone. It's one of my favorites from his because it has no explosions. It has um, uh, one, uh, well, one scene of violence. Um, the rest of it is just talking and acting and storyline and camera shots and moves. And, and it's a really well-made, powerful film. Not everybody's going to like this movie. Some people are going to think it's boring. But if you're into acting, if you're into characters and a story, a story about a guy and, and what's going on and the things he believes and whether they're going to be his undoing or not, um, you know, whether the bomb threats become real and that kind of thing. You know, it being a conservative talk show host or being a controversial talk show host in, in a conservative area like Texas, it was an interesting place to sit this character, but it makes for some great drama. Movie came out around Christmas of 1988 and faded quickly. I went to see it, obviously, because A, I was a huge Oliver Stone fan at the time. Uh, already, uh, Platoon, I, I thought it deserved every award it won. And that movie just, I was in college and that movie just blew us away. Um but this was the end of my college career, and I was already into radio, and, and so I definitely wanted to see it. And I walked out of the movie just, wow. And I own the VHS. I don't think I ever owned the DVD. And a few years ago, um, Twilight Time, which is a company that's now gone out of business and reformed as something else now, um, they would do movie releases, and every single one um, would have an isolated film score because the guys that were behind Twilight Time came up through the music side of the movies in Hollywood. And that was something that DVDs used to do a lot and you don't see on a lot of Blu-rays now is having an isolated score track. You can literally watch the movie with no talking, no sound effects, just the music. And in this case, Stuart Copeland did the music. And no, I didn't watch it that way. Um, because actually, there's not a whole lot of music and the movie is not really... It's about the talking. It's about the voices. Um, but I like that in their movies, that that's an option on the Blu-ray. I think more should do that, especially when there's an incredible film score. Can't say that on any of my DVD. Maybe there were one or two that I watched, just, but I have a hard time not watching. I guess I could put the subtitles on and just listen to the, to the music. That would be interesting. Um, but Stuart Copeland did the music. Um, Robert Richardson did the cinematography. It is a Oliver Stone movie. Um, Everything he, every movie he's ever, he hasn't really made a boring movie. You know, <laughs> every movie's pretty intense. So if you can think a talk radio movie might be intense, uh, it definitely is. And for 1988, it's way ahead of its time. This character was an unusual thing to see on screen back then. Now we're used to it. And you're going to go, what's the big deal? We have these guys on the radio and TV. We have a whole network made up of these kind of guys. Um, it's an inter it, it how much truth this foretold talk radio check it out if you can find a copy of the blu-ray it's out of print they only made 3000 copies um and i figured universal would release it in a massive release at some point but they never did um it has no subtitles on it uh it's a 2.0 stereo mix that was really good um 
no subtitles, and that music-only track, which I... Okay, great. Uh, it has a little booklet that comes in it. Um, I think it's currently going for about twenty to twenty-five bucks on eBay. If you're a if you're a fan of these kind of movies and you don't have a full Oliver Stone collection, um, you you can still pick it up for it's not a hundred dollars yet, but it will be at some point because they only made three thousand copies. But it's an acquired taste for some people and anybody who's ever worked in the media. I think you would dig it if you've never seen it. You've got great performances, uh, great directing, a great cast. Oh wow. Alec Baldwin uh, recently watched uh, Hunt for Red October and this movie and and Beetlejuice. just a different actor. You know, I mean, he's, he's kind of become something else as, as anybody who's been in the business for 30 to 40 years, that happens, but he was so young and on fire back then. Really good stuff. So check it out. Talk radio. It's, it's, I'm, I haven't watched it in years. I pulled the plastic off this Blu-ray I've owned for several years, watched it, and and jumped right back into it. I really enjoyed it. It's a good flick. I'm Scott Hamilton. I'm Rockfile. My website is therockfile.com. Check it out for all the links to all my other goodies. Thank you for sharing this and subscribing to this and for listening to this. Mm-hmm.